we're recording and okay so i'll just say that again i enjoy the fact that you substitute sincere for the word serious when it's appropriate because we just don't want to get into stodgy oh we got to sit quietly and do everything right it's uh, e even though the music can be intense and impassioned it's not necessarily serious well i'm so glad you found that bit because as I was, I think that same day, um, I, I decided to uh, read some of your book and then record it for the podcast. And then later in the podcast, as I was reading a few excerpts from your book, I found the very same, uh, the very same concept. Um, and I just feel that I think I, I think I found that originally uh through alan watts but um yeah i was very happy to see that same concept in your book and uh i'm sure you have a lot to say about it in uh in more succinct words than i do so maybe you could talk a little bit about um how to approach things in a sincere way and to avoid getting too serious about them in terms of practicing, playing, the business side of it, of music. Okay. All right. We have a lot to talk about then. That's good. Uh, uh, when, I, just as a start, I um, someone sent me a birthday card on my last birthday that said, if you can't laugh at yourself, look in the mirror and see what everybody else is laughing at. <laughs> I, I think uh, I love playing music and I love, but, but I've never been, I've, I'm kind of a silly person and I've always had that in my personality. I, I enjoy making people laugh and I enjoy laughing myself. And it, I, I guess I've always had a thing about uh, being too serious, like what what I have to say is so important, you'd really better listen up. And instead, it's what I have to say is very emotionally charged, and I hope that I move you in some way. But then, as a matter of fact, in my in my concert show, I uh, I tell little comedic monologues in between because I think mm -hmm. it's uh, we should be we should be enjoying wonderful music in a relaxed atmosphere, and. Uh, it's like when, when you're, if you're telling a sad story, yeah, then you're very intense and very maybe even sad and choked up, but that's not who you are. That's that story. And that's what that piece of music is. It's that story that could be very intense and very emotionally packed. And then, whew, now we take a break and hi there, here's, here's who I am. Right. So how... How do you, after being so engrossed with the music and and obviously it's generating all of these feelings that maybe you haven't found in other parts of your life. So there's that inclination to want to, to hold on to it, to know where it came from, to, to, to make it into something predictable and and. And to care more about it happening, hence the uh, the serious 
aspect of it. So how do how do you end up distancing yourself from that? I I hadn't particularly thought about it, but I as I do right now, I think because music is being created every time you do it in real time. It takes three minutes to listen to three minutes to to experience three minutes worth of music. Whereas you could look at a, a painting or a sculpture or something and you can catch it in a moment of the, the gist of it or even can move right. very, very quickly. I think the way to answer your question is that I can revisit it anytime I want and recreate it, even uh, probably not the same way. Even if it's on, uh, even if it's been recorded, you you are there during the record during the listening for the whole process so it's a living breathing art form that you're that the listener is listening to you create it as as they listen even even if it is recorded uh so so i think it doesn't have to stay with me after sometimes i mean sometimes you have an emotional experience with music that wow you a couple hours later you're just still in in the zone Mm-hmm. but you can knowing that you can revisit it it's not that uh precious that you mustn't let go of it i guess i right. guess that's that's me thinking on the fly yeah well it was an interesting I, love question. That. I love that answer i i think it's it is a moment-to-moment practice and and it's a great indicator if you're not fully in it if that begins to happen and and you start, you know, drawing too much from, from an idea you've, you've had previously or, or an experience. And so I I think that just about sums it up, but that doesn't mean it's a, it's necessarily easy to do that. Hmm. Yeah. I guess what happens to, uh, to me and to a lot of people is you're, day-to-day mundane occurrences almost get in the way even if you would like to stay there you you cannot because i don't know because it's time to to go take the kids to school or it's time to wash the car or or a thousand things that that have nothing to do with art (laughs) get in the way and and so i think i think knowing that you can revisit it any time you like that's such a gift to an artist, you can go there anytime you like and recreate it. So, it, it, yet while it's precious, it's not scarce. It's constantly renewable, and well, I, I feel like that'll that'll keep me from thinking like there that I need to draw from anything that I that I have to find a source of inspiration that I don't already have. And, and sometimes, sometimes that helps me in that I'm sitting there and I'm unsure of how I want to move forward with the idea I'm about to work with. And so that'll, that'll lead me to listen to something, to read something and, and maybe in, 20 minutes or so I'll have some kind of spark that I can you know find a direction from but I I don't always want to rely on uh on looking for something externally so 
what you've said is a really great reminder that if if you can just in that moment at the beginning of the creative process if you can remind yourself that that it's always there and that that really it's your choice to fully tune into it i i'm really certain that that can help with with any type of block in the initial stages yeah i think so Uh, what's interesting to me is that um this kind of two sides of this coin as far as improvising or creating a new melody or creating a new piece of music i always turn on the the tape the tape meaning my iphone just to to catch the ideas because sometimes the first idea out of the box is really a good one so i want to have a record of it at least so i can revisit it but this flip side of that is that i'm not i'm not sort of a a vessel that has a hundred ideas and that's all i it's it's unending you have you know today you have one idea tomorrow you have 10 more and some of them are good some of them suck you know but but they're it's uh it's it's nice to know if you if you're if things are not going if i'm trying to create an idea and it's not happening i just get up from the piano do something else read a book i usually unfortunately more like go to the computer and do all that junk you have to do but if you're if you're really trying to get that spark back if you if you feel like you're in a slump i i start looking at other art forms i look at um art that i love uh poetry i happen to love poetry i read some poems that i that really are meaningful to me i listen to a maybe a good movie an act or an actor that i really enjoy hearing him read you know there are all mm-hmm. sorts of of other art forms, watch ballet, watch river dance. The, uh, you know, the, I mean, it's incredible. And you just get excited, not for the purpose of being inspired, but to me, I end up wanting to create something because I say, wow, all this great stuff. I need to do some, and, and maybe, it, maybe I get something good or maybe I don't, but I, I want to get back to the piano. That's how, that's what happens with me. And, you, I, I'm sure you practice other mediums as well. And is that your artwork on the cover of your book? That's not mine. That's the publisher did that, and I think it's beautiful. It really is. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do some. I used to do some drawing in the past, but but uh, that's not my strength. But it's, it's something I like. I think I I write I write. As you probably do too, you write some poetry, uh, you write creative writing in some way. I think that what ha- an artist comes from a kind of a central point. As we both talked about, you have to know you have to know the language of the uh, of the medium that you're working in. You can't just sit down and paint, never having painted. You kind of figure out how to mix colors and how to use a brush. Well. The language of music, we, we, you and I both know, but there's the language of dance and the language of sculpture. But once you have those things, I think your creative impulse comes in a, in a general direction. Like, for example, the way I play piano is if I were a dancer, I'd probably be a classical ballet dancer. If I were a painter, I would paint more in the representational style and not abstract, because that's just not me. When I play music, I'm not a jazz abstract outside the the parameters kind of player 
I'm I'm pretty much straightforward with the main harmonies and chords and the the composers I admire, Chopin, Rachmaninoff, Debussy. Those where I get inspiration from. So I'm not going to suddenly paint abstract if I mm-hmm. if I did, did know how to paint. Right. You know, that's, that's so I think that I think there's a central artistic direction that you come from, and then you learn the tools of the new trade, and and uh, and if I were if I were to express myself in painting, people would probably say, "Oh, that's probably Emil," because if they know my music. Anyway, that's my little diatribe there. It's interesting that you you bring up jazz improvisation as having a lot of um, out kinds of sounds and harmonies that, that you might not be able to compare to some of the masterful classical composers, like the ones you mentioned, Rachmaninoff, Chopin, Debussy. Do you feel like um jazz is is a separate category when it comes to harmonic usage or do you do you feel like there are examples of of many jazz composers who who pull from all of those earlier composers i do i think i was uh, uh I th- you're quite right i think that i was thinking in myself for example the um the, the jazz artists like a Thelonious Monk or mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, some of the some of the some of the far outside the norm kind of jazz artists, even though I can appreciate them, I don't I don't come from that place. Mm-hmm. Mine is much more like an Oscar Peterson or Teddy Wilson or that that you can with even all that wonderful stuff going on, you can. For me, I have a home base to go to somehow. Uh, mm-hmm. and when, when people get, it's not that I can't love it and appreciate it, but I can't do it. <laughs> it's just not me. It's not. A, it's not a. It's not a natural impulse for me to go that direction. Uh, my, I had a very good friend, Chick Korea, who sadly passed away recently. But um, uh, some of his earlier stuff with Return to Forever. And his uh, acoustic band was easier for me to understand this than a lot of, you know, he did so many things. You could do anything. Mm-hmm. But as he got farther and farther out from the norm, I, I can't wrap my wits around it. It's just, I guess my, my, whole, pro, my whole thesis here is that you have a, an innate personality and you express yourself regardless of the medium. You're going to come out as the same person. I believe. And it's so satisfying to get familiar with other mediums, even if you don't put in the same effort or time as, uh, as your, your, your chosen medium, Mm -hmm. you still get to see how your sensibilities change from one medium to another. And I think, I think that's, I mean, what else do we have to, uh, to, to show us, um, 
how we express ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think to have them side by side would be a very gratifying thing. And that's that's what I'm working towards because I have I have all this time to work on my music and teach, but I also want to dedicate some of that to to other art forms just to see how those sensibilities manifest and and so that's um I'm I'm doing that with poetry with with drawing a little bit and I'm really just planting seeds cuz I know how long it would take to for for those to really evolve um especially when you think about how long it it takes with music um, mm-hmm. but I feel it's really complimentary and it, I can come back to m- my music with, you know, a bit more recharged. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I guess it's again, um, uh, from what I've listened to you speak on the podcast and, and myself, we share this, um, holistic view. Uh, my, my book, for example, is not about how to play the piano. There are teachers and there are books by the volumes and volumes of books on all of that. And so this is an this is a kind of an overarching look at since you do know how to push the keys, what what's the point of it? What everyone's going every good teacher is going to say the technique exists to to just support the music and that we all agree on that. And yet you have to know how to do it, how to get it across. Uh, we've all seen pianists who are very, very impressive and, and we can admire, but not be moved. And my whole, the whole thrust of this book, Play It Like You Mean It, was to hopefully get those people who don't, just don't know exactly why doesn't my mu- music travel across the space and, and reach that other soul so that he's actually really moved by it. And that's that's what the, that's what I try to cover in the in all those chapters. But as you noticed in the book, the chapter headings are lighthearted and sometimes just silly, on purpose. Uh, we, we well, I wanted the book book to be a friendly book, and it's not a it's not a textbook, and it's not a you can you can jump around in it certainly, but it's it's uh, it's should be personable and easy reading. Well, I definitely get that impression. It's it's a very friendly book. And even with with all of the different chapters that can be as specific as memorization, it seems like at the beginning you you break it down into really two distinct categories, which is the the technical craft side of it and then the emotional, you know, right brain aspect of it and how how your experiences, your energy, your state can then inform the technique and and the years of, of practicing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just wonderful because it, it gives people a point of departure where you know, you really only have these two main concepts to to address at first. You don't have to, you know, have all of these different 
you know, cubby holes to to fill up, you can just limit it to, you know, okay, inspiration and emotion and then craft. And of course they they end up overlapping, but I think it's it's a really good framework to start with. Uh, just just to really um, you know know what you're getting into at first. I, I think also that um, one of the things that was important to me because I certainly had it in my own life was that I had I had absorbed in my <clears throat> malleable early years some statements or principles that were not that it ain't necessarily so but you just picked them up like uh, oh you'll never be able to play Bach or this is this is a, a Mozart expert and you can play Mozart but this guy's an expert and you, you you think well I'll never be able to do that there you put boxes around your thinking that you're not aware of you ever even did I to, to this day I sometimes use a fingering that I know my teacher from 50 years ago, <laughs> would say don't do that and i think and i do it anyway but the fact that i'm doing it anyway means i had to covenant with myself that it's okay to use a maverick fingering on this passage and and what i hope that uh, uh students younger or older students would do is to inspect these things that wow i i've never i never i've never used the thumb on the on the black key and the key of d well, maybe now's the time. You know, it's uh, you're, you're kind of it's not teaching technique. It's teaching you to it's helping you to to get rid of some of the fixed ideas you might have absorbed without even knowing it, and thinking outside the the paradigms that you've been taught. Not just what you've been taught by. Any any good teacher is going to teach you the main basics in the in the best way they know how, and that's and this is doesn't countermand that at all. It's just while embracing those, look to see that there are further ways to do it. When I play the piano, I do whatever is necessary given my ability, whatever to to get the sound that I want. I think I the sound is in my head. Now how do I get it? I don't think I'll use this fingering or this kind of an arpeggio. I just start playing. And my technique is more like a play thing at this point to me. I have as much technique probably as I'm going to have by by now. If I don't have it now, you know, uh, I'm still trying to improve. But it's I don't care which finger plays which note or which fingering seems kind of weird or crazy. As an example, uh, the whole point being that you get across the emotion that you that you mean to. And and then your attention is not on the technique. I kind of wandered off into a tangent there, I think. <laughs> so did you experience that mostly with earlier teachers, or did you did you experience some of that with each teacher along the way? The kind of prescriptive this is how you ought to do this and that. I would say uh, early on, well, not early on. I think my, I, you know, I studied piano from age five to about 22, you know, through college, like most music majors. And somewhere along in those times, like I, for example, I 
got the idea that I would never be able to play the Brahms piano concertos. I would never be able to play the Rachmaninoff third. Well, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, but I never even tried because I already knew that was beyond me. And, mm -hmm. and I, I only invest, I only inspected that. Th Fortunately, I'm not in a, a concert piano world. There, there's a, a Olympians of concert piano, as you and I both know that they can do anything. It's wonderful. But, uh, and that was not my goal. But I never even bought the sheet music, the <laughs> book, to look at what the, to this day, I don't know what the Brahms Piano Concerto, the B-flat one, looks like in print. Because I was, uh, cause anymore, I'm not interested in seeing it. But at, uh, in my formative years, I kind of got the idea from comparing myself to other students and what my teacher said and what the pieces they gave me and what the pieces they gave the other students. So I would say that's where I picked up all those ideas, mostly, <clears throat> mostly mm -hmm. unspoken. That's happened to me as well. And it's, it hasn't been that long. I played guitar from, well, I started when I was 15 and until it took until 22 to really start using piano as more than a learning instrument hmm. or, you know, a way to sort of see guitar in a different way. I, I started just learning it directly so I could play piano better. And that's when that's when all of those unspoken things started boiling up. I felt like, oh, I I don't know when I'll ever be able to play Bach or play all of these pieces that I already found and want to know how to play. And I, again, I, it's unspoken, but I can't help but feel that some of my teachers along the way in school or or just people you meet they they pedestalize mm -hmm. these composers uh, rightfully so they're yeah. amazing and mm -hmm. you know it but it prevents you from really investigating it for yourself cuz you you've put it in this category yes. already of being un, untouchable or unachievable I think that's part of the seriousness that you and I both object to. It's it's uh, it's sacrosanct, and and if you just thought, wow, that Bach that that uh, Bach fugue is absolutely wonderful. I wonder if maybe I'll play it one day. If you just you had the lightheartedness about this great piece of music, maybe you never will. Maybe you can't. Who knows? But you'll never know if you don't try. And and uh, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I listen back to some of the things that I did in college because I have some recordings from school. I think, how did I do that? Because <laughs> it's like at the time it was just everybody was playing. You, you got this, the Schumann Carnival is, you know, 25 minutes worth of music and you memorized it and you played it in recital. And, and, and today I think, gosh, that'd be quite a challenge, but you just did it. And, Somehow you did. Uh, uh, there's a uh, there's a T-shirt somebody gave me. It says, "The older I get, the better I was." <laughs> 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 but it's you know it's it's you can it, if you don't have mental objections to it, your teacher gave it to you. He must think you could do it. And then you did it. Right. Now, of course, 
of course, in music school, all you have to do is play music. You don't have to rent an apartment and pay the bills and, you know, and at my right. <laughs> I, I was just discussing this, uh, this maintaining of your repertoire. I was discussing mm -hmm. it with my teacher because much like you just said, you look back and you go, how did, how was I able to do that? And, you know, if you had to, I'm sure you absolutely could put yourself in that frame of mind again, but that doesn't take away from the initial impression. That's just, how was I able to do that? Yeah. And, and I feel that now that I'm relearning pieces because I've, I'm still kind of in, um, more of a discovery mode where I'm just going, okay, how about this piece? How about this? And I'm just building the repertoire. Now that I'm, I'm spending a little more time, uh, you know, refining the ones I've already learned. I I'm having these kinds of thoughts of like, how, like this was six months ago. How was I yeah. able to dedicate enough time to learn this? Yeah. It's, and I don't want to say it's, uh, it's not that it's disappointing, but it's just, it makes you really appreciate how much it takes to learn these pieces and then retain them. Mm -hmm. My, my teacher, Andy Wasserman, he, he says that most top level pianists will spend at least 365 days playing a piece that they know they're going to play and that they're going to perform and and that they need that level of consistency and review to really feel comfortable about that performance and uh, I'm not sure if that's necessary every time because you you might be busy or in a time crunch but the uh i understand the sentiment mm -hmm. like, it really takes everything to to stay you know in, in touch yeah. with these pieces that you've lost well it's you know and everybody's different of course so but yeah. I, there's a chapter in my book called play it again sam and it's and it's that's what it's about you have repertoire that if you don't keep it up it's going to you're going to have to relearn it from almost from scratch i mean you can you know it'll be faster the second time but i have recorded uh, about 400 songs but can i play them all no i i don't keep them up and and i, I keep the ones up that are in my current show and uh and i think something i wish i had taken my own advice that you write a list i mean a list that you can actually refer to of pieces of, of music songs that you want to remember and be able to play at the drop of a hat and then you can revisit them, uh, whatever's comfortable to do. Uh, it's it's much easier naturally for um, commercial music, pop music, like the, what I am playing, than it is for the classics, of course. Mm -hmm. But uh, I wish I, I, I recorded an album of all Chopin music. Can I play those? No, one or two. But at the time, I really... Uh, just dug in and spent six hours a day for about three or four months and I got them up to recording 
And then I kind of didn't visit them anymore. And uh, they, would, they would all take a lot of work to get back. So I, I really uh, I agree with you about keeping your repertoire fresh just by revisiting. I don't know that you have to play every tune every day. But, but if you don't have a list, if, for me, if I don't have a list of, I think, wow, I forgot I ever played that piece of music. And, and, it's, uh, and, and, and if it's a few years have gone by, I'm kind of starting all over again. I'm just doing that right now with the ritual fire dance of Defaya. Uh, I was going to take a trip to Spain, and I wanted to be able to play Malagueña and uh, the ritual fire dance. Uh, Malagueña I've played over the years because it's a very popular classic. But the Ritual Fire Dance, I recorded it maybe 20 years ago, and I haven't played it since. And it's it's a bear to get back, you know, and then just sit down and play it. But you always get it back in much less time than it took to learn it. And that's yeah, the nice that's part. true. That's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it takes playing a tune every day. I think that was... No, and now, by the way, that's one of those statements that you or I might take as gospel, that it's just that person's opinion, which is a very valid one. But it doesn't mean that every artist does every tune 360 right. degrees. Yeah. And and he was probably just trying to, you know, make make his case for it. I don't think he sure. even believes that fully um, or for each piece that you have to learn we've all been in a time crunch and I actually kind of have a knack for this. Um, I can, you know, tunes that aren't most, most classical pieces I could learn in, um, you know, one to two weeks and then really have, have it internalized after week two and week three. And then sure enough, if, if you don't play it for a week or two, it can just disappear. And it's amazing. I know. It's uh, yeah, I'm I'm a slow learner, but when, but I learn thoroughly, but it, it takes me I'm not I would see if I were to co compare myself to other people, first of all, when you do that, I'm talking to myself here. You don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea how long it takes another artist to get something and I don't know his or her relationships. Uh, are they are they healthy? Do they have time? Do they have three kids to look after? I mean, you don't you have no idea what the other person. So it's to to compare your speed of learning as I have done in the past when I was a student to that of others is you don't know what you're talking about. Um, to this day, we don't know how long it took Michelangelo to sculpt David. I don't know. It was taking mm -hmm. 10 years, three months. And frankly, who cares? At the end of it, he has this sculpture. And, and we'll never know. We never know if he took breaks or whether he worked 22 hours a, a, a day, you know? It's sort of a, a red herring because yeah. the, the result is, is really what matters in, in terms of the, the idea um, what they get out of it is far more important and meaningful. And I don't think any of them would swear by it, would, would, would really be hard and fast about each rule that they have for themselves. I'm sure, 
I'm sure all the greatest artists have had guidelines for themselves mm-hmm. or, you know, ways of working that, that work with, you know, their own rhythms and, and, you know, ha- their life, but I'm sure they break those rules. And, you know, if they work well in the morning, I'm, yeah. I'm sure they get compelled to work at night sometimes, you know. That's true. Yeah. I think, I guess that's the thing you find, you find your own rhythm and do that. And, uh, you know, I've heard, I had, I've had teachers who say, okay, every hour you need to take a, after you've been sitting at the piano for, take a 10, 15 minute break, walk around. I don't do that. I might sit at the piano for (laughs) six hours if I have it available. And then the next day, 20 minutes. And that's just how I am. And it doesn't mean, and my my hands are different from your hands, and my phys- physical mm-hmm. makeup is different. You know, it's. <clears throat> I think um, <clears throat> guidelines are are there to be guidelines, and it's a and the people that you're studying with know more than you do, and so you, you take you absolutely should do what they say. But at some point, it needs to be inspected, and I think I I, I just think. Looking at the joy of playing, I guess when the joy of cooking came out, it was a bestseller for the last hundred years because it's the joy of cooking. It's not how to cook. It's the, yeah, how to do it, but just enjoy it. And every moment I'm at the piano, I, I, that's where I want to be, you know? That's where I'd like to be. And if, it's, and if my piano playing is not going well that day, okay. You know, some days I don't, I don't get into a psychological nonsense about it i just i guess can't play today <laughs> tough <laughs> too bad bummer you know yeah. and then go away take a walk come back whatever maybe it's a little bit better play something that or what what i do to get going again is play something that i know i play really well and that i love to play the, the song all i ask of you from phantom is one of the ones that i love to play i just enjoy every single i've played it a hundred thousand times and i every moment every time i play it i love it just as much so if i want to do something for myself to get myself going again i'll play that tune i do the same thing yeah i mean i found myself you know throughout your book i i i found so many strategies that I've considered or that I've already put in place for myself. So I, I could really relate to so many of these chapters. That's um, great. Maybe you need to write a book. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, um, did you feel like you had as much to say about this along the way uh, in, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, what, what gave you the impetus for it right now? Or, you know, however long it took you to write this. I can tell you what happened. Um, I've, I've never been a teacher. So, and I I don't have uh, teaching skills really. Three of my sisters are, are uh, teachers in music and I, I've studied with some great teachers and I've, you know, I have such admiration for them, but I myself have not been a teacher yet. A few years ago, I would say more like four or five years ago, I was thinking, you know, I do have a lot to say. And when I, once in a while, I'll, I'll uh, coach uh, a student 
for like I'll do one or two hours of you know coaching I call it because I'm not teaching them to play the piano they already play but they need to and I find that I had a lot to say just like I do on this interview I'm, I'm I blabber a lot and at some point I thought you know I really do need to put my ideas down in book form and when I started writing it was just sort of stream of consciousness and I found myself writing no kidding like eight hours a day for not not in a row stay after day but because I, I have to do my work and i have to practice and i have to do everything but some days when i had the time i would just start writing and i i it was a little bit of a stream of consciousness kind of writing but then i organized it into parts you know uh, today i was writing about the, the, the one day whatever one day i was writing about chord voicing and i had a lot to say about chord voicing and so i just wrote until i the trouble was once I had all that writing, I had to go through and see if I was had said the same thing three times or go back and where does it where does it fit in the flow of the book, things like that. It seems more natural to approach it that way than than uh, you know having the the outline at the beginning and saying today, okay, I have to write about chord voicings. It feels much more natural to just arrive at that after having part of your day where you're just really curious about them and then using all of that energy to then write. About well, the and, and what you're saying there is that uh, you and I resonate in a lot of ways and that's our style, but some other person may feel that, just that's crazy. You got to have an outline and I can, and maybe that's, I don't know how other authors write, you know, but it may be that they say today I'm writing about chord voicing and, and that gives them, you know, again, we, who knows? I mean, if you find your own, your own style, that's what you should do. And I guess I just kind of could, because I've never been an author before. I just defaulted to that style. I didn't know the rules of writing. <laughs> Do you have strategies for playing that are outside of the realm of music? Do you have uh, practices, you know, you or things that you make sure you do or that you like to do just because you know they're going to nurture you as a composer and an artist uh the quick answer to that is no i've, I've never never considered that uh huh. i think you know i love i love to read the classics of literature um dickens and and uh emily bronte and the the the, the class the some uh, those books called the great books because i want to absorb their style of writing i just love it just tastes good and it's the same reason i read poetry but i don't do it for the purpose i do it because i love it i don't do it for mm -hmm. the purpose of applying it to the music yet when i play i do compare in my mind the playing to the the reading of a great poem or uh, sculpting a piece of clay. How do you how do you mold this piece of music mm -hmm. the way you would mold a piece of clay? So I I kind of interdisciplinary join them together, but not 
for the purpose of playing my music. Interesting. Do you have, I, do you have uh, exercises you do outside of music for the purpose of your? I own? do. I I try I try not to to make it all about you know making the music better or you know whatever I wanted to get out of it, but I do have different things in place, and it sounds kind of goal oriented. And I guess it kind of is, uh, even like, I don't think that's a, a dirty word, uh, but for, and I don't necessarily mean, uh, making other forms of art. I just mean, you know, nutrition or, uh, you know, some kind of physical activity going mm. hiking or just time off. And mm. cause I've found if I if I dedicate too much time, um, well, there's no such thing. But if if I start caring a little too much about what I'm doing, I you know you can you can get you, you can get tired. You can burn yourself out. And I have a better grasp of it now, but I definitely felt. At one point that I I needed to put something in place just so I felt more balanced because the idea of, uh, you know, learning to be a an expressive and proficient musician, you know, that's a big feat hmm. to uh, so. So I, I did feel a sense that uh of unbalance, even though, or imbalance, even though I, I really love every moment that I'm spending on my music. And so I got a lot more serious or sincere about the way I eat and, uh, you know, get, like things like yoga and meditation and just getting up more, getting outside, those kinds of things. I noticed from what I read about you that that you like these a uh, 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 holistic approach to uh, to your life in general. I mean, it, it, it's uh, more. I think I think you're more active at it than I, for example. I don't do those things, but I love that viewpoint of you, you should be. You know, I, I take care of my body when I have to. You know, fortunately, I'm healthy, but I my body is getting older, and and I, you know, I've got to take a little bit more care of it. But but I don't um, I don't do those things on purpose to round out my life. I think I think what happens is that um, I have a uh, I have a family. There, my kids are grown now, but I have grandkids who come over and. And it's there's so much else going on <laughs> that, right. that I that I just can't wait to get to the piano. <laughs> it's kind of my sanctuary, you know. <laughs> I think uh, it depends on just how busy your your life is with it. You, you seem to have a, a good grounding in what you want to do to be a complete spiritual package. And I and I admire that. I, it's so funny. I 
you know the statement, um, I don't have enough patience to do what I should do, for example. And there's that funny statement, God grant me patience and I want it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I, I only stuck with it uh, with these various things because it came out of necessity. I I really was uh, just not functioning as well as I could, uh, you know, physically, mentally. And, you know, it just it, it just accumulates over time. You can you can be young and you can still develop whatever chronic thing ailment Mm -hmm. it it can still happen and i guess i'm i'm proof because i matured pretty early um and you know just kept growing and growing and so you know when that happens things get tighter and you just can't you're just not as flexible and all of those things affect you at the piano if you're not feeling that's true. Your your best, then uh, you you may not perform to your best. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, that you know. I guess more and more you think of um, as much as I focus in on piano playing. And if if someone says, "Who are you?" I say, "Well, I play the piano." It's not my. It's not who I am, but. It's the it's such a big part of me, but the 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 actual not, the playing the piano is the skill. The music that comes out of me is who I am, and uh, as um, it, I don't know, I would think <laughs> I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but um, but I I I'm, I'm just saying I I I agree with, but I don't do the. Taking care of the outside, you know, the the uh, exercise and thing, and and I I have to I have to uh, keep myself healthy, but that's about it. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> hey, if if you feel great, and that's just more time you can spend on your art. So that's true. you know, it's it's probably better that way. Yeah. I. I wish I wish we all could spend less time at the computer. I mean, it's it's not goofing off. It's stuff you have to do. It's business that you have to do. There's a the, in the one of the chapters that toward toward the end. There's a, a section on commercial music, making a living, and so forth. And I wish I had known early on that music is a business, and you have to take care of business. And and just think, most businesses, people working forty hours a week at the business, they're not. And they're not also practicing the piano. They're also not. They're not dancing. They're spending time on their business, and someone has to do that. In my case, I'm fortunate that my wife is a businesswoman and she does that. Uh, but she spends all day, every day, with uh, doing our business work, and 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 I, of course, there's a lot of it that I have to do. But um, it's interesting. Do you think it's it's a little easier today because of all the tools we have, or do you think that presents all sorts of new challenges if we if we can 
if we have the option to do it all ourselves? I think, pardon me, (coughs) excuse me. I think it's far easier today. And I know that for a fact because I was doing it 40 years ago uh, without, without internet and so forth. And uh, you had, it was the, just the, the hard copy paperwork and things that, you know, everything was taking, was slower. It's much easier to be an independent musician today than it was then, even though we were, we've always been independent. Um, But, uh, and it's less costly. We used to send, we had a mailing list that we sent out newsletters to, but it would cost, we had thousands of people and it would cost thousands of dollars to send out a newsletter, you know, a couple of times a year. And now you can just send out emails for free to thousands of people on your, on your list. So, um, it's, it's far easier now. And and that's, it's, that's, I think very encouraging to so many artists. You can make a living as a pianist and as a musician and it's, but you, it it just takes that much time on the business end of it. And most of us, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we, we were perfectly willing to spend six, eight hours a day at the piano. We're perfectly willing to spend hundreds and thousands of hours learning our craft but then most of us, including me, balk at having to spend five or six hours a week on business. I just hate doing it. I don't want to do it. I want somebody else to do it. But somebody has to do it. Or, you, or you'll just be the most talented person in the world in your living room. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult to, to accept that trade-off. But I don't think you're... I think what what kind of prevented me from from starting earlier and and rightfully so is that if if you spend too much on the business side especially like in the very early stages mm-hmm. then then your your brain is is too partitioned to really get deep on on the one thing or the, the couple things like you know, piano, composition. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really made sure I I just focused on a few things. Now, now that I have a bit more depth with those, with my playing, with uh, just a better sense of what I want to do creatively, I'm, I'm now starting to add the other layers, uh, the other aspects of it business and like you know marketing tools things like that but i i can't imagine starting with that and because you're not you don't even know how you would um you you haven't even like formed a a side of you to market yet so how could you really Mm -hmm. fully go through with that business side before that before you've covered what's most important to you the art so that's why i i kind of held off uh for a number of years just because i really wanted to spend as much time as possible getting to know the size of of the creative problem that is learning an instrument and Mm-hmm. So now it it feels a lot more 
natural to start adding in the other parts. But again, even like even four or five hours of it feel very <laughs> taxing. And we're used to that flying by when we're doing other I things. Know, like, I know. Right? I know. And by the way, I agree with you. Certainly in your formative years, you're supposed to be learning how to play the instrument. So I quite agree. And and who, who knows whether you're going to have a career as a musician anyway when you're learning to play. But mm-hmm. um, I guess uh, if I had... When I got out of college and I was 22 years old or whatever I was, then right from the from that moment, I should have recognized. So I think I was sort of hoping to get a job somewhere. I, I played one of my first jobs. I played in a cafeteria, uh, of all things. And the uh, but it was I thought, wow, they're paying me to play music. That's pretty cool. But I I still didn't get that if you're going to have a career, in, I didn't have any plan. So. So I think just getting the idea that uh, that it, it you have to take care of, of business somehow or t'other, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just healthy to know that, and then you won't object to it so much the way to this day. I, I wish it didn't have to be that way, but but that's like wishing there were no gravity. There it is, like it or not. So. You did say it's much easier to sustain yourself independently as an artist than previously. Mm-hmm. But can, does that present other challenges that, like, you know, because we've become such uh, creatures of comfort, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we have all of these tools and they're at our fingertips but we we don't have as much of the the grit required to and theoretically we don't have the grit to learn these tools inside and out like we would have done in the past because then we had no choice like so earlier you would have felt like you absolutely had to learn how how to do these things inside and out because you you really had no other choice, no other option. Uh, now now we have so many tools; it, it's hard to really pick one and 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 see it through. So there is more that we can do to market ourselves, but how how do we really uh, optimize? our time working on these different uh, projects. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how do we do that? That's a tough one. Um, uh, Still, still, I think it's a great deal easier to, because you have to do all this work now, but you had to do all this work then as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I still think it's, it's, as you said, there's so many tools you can choose from, but every, it seems like every day someone's giving you a new idea. There's, CD Baby and Pandora and Spotify and all these different uh, places and how to best market your music. What's one, the good news is there's tons of free advice. That's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how to get your your music placed on Amazon is how to get at the top of the charts and everything. So that that is wonderful. But it it seems that whatever form business takes, 
how come people work 40 hours a week uh, in any business? I mean, that's, it's, that's what you, that's, I mean, that's the convention. Now, if, if we, if we were all worked 80 hour weeks or 60 hour weeks or 20 hour weeks, we'd all agree that that's how much time it takes. And it just happens to be in a new form now. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's no, if the the way I, what I do is I have a performance coming up and that's the first, that's my first order of importance. So I better have my playing under control for the next five concerts or whatever I have and know that I've got that going. So if I have to sacrifice time at the computer, I just have to, but, but it has to get done. So maybe I have to stay up till midnight or 2 AM. It has to get done. Uh, I always, uh, uh, after I've gotten the, because I'm doing some live performances, uh, uh, I, I, I know I don't want to make a fool of myself on stage. So there's no question that I have to do that. So that comes first. But then after that, I say, I'd really like to just read through a Rachmaninoff concerto just because I'd like to read through it. Sorry, I don't get to. I got to go to the computer and see if I can get more tunes up on streaming or whatever the answer fan mail or whatever I have to do or I have to I have to do Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and because it's because you have to be present and people have to know you're there mm-hmm. well I don't really want to do those but I mean I like people but I don't like those platforms <laughs> but you have to do it do you it is a balancing act you're right do you tailor what you what you post on these platforms based on um you know the based on what people go to the platforms to expect or or you know what i mean as opposed to um just taking the content you have and the news that you have and posting it on all the platforms uh i know I, I do it according to um to, to what people are going there for but, but but i also do the main thing i do is every single week i post a new uh one of my songs that i've performed that i've recorded uh with a painter that i happen to like an art an art painter and i make a video of uh like a four minute video of this this artist's visual art excuse me with a piece of music that i think goes with it so i'm that i'm doing on my youtube channel and on facebook and and that's just to keep myself on people's radar um mm-hmm. if they like my music they have something new to listen to each each week pardon me and um so so yes i am using music that i've recorded over the past many years but uh, I do answer people make comments about it and they ask me musical questions and I and I do try to respond to all of those and uh, because because there's a there's a lot of that that's why it starts taking time um, if someone just says I loved your music I might just like it for example but if someone asks a question how did you make that sound I, w- I will actually try to in a short statement trying to actually answer the question it's um uh, you know it, it, 
that that's that's that double-edged sword because I have, for example, I have ten thousand followers on uh, subscribers on YouTube. That means there are going to be a lot of comments, mm-hmm. and th- that's a good thing, and it's a time-consuming thing because I I do want to be not just polite. I I really enjoy answering people's questions, but it takes it just goes time goes by and time goes by and you think I gotta get to the piano. Well, for those heartfelt questions that that are full of curiosity, it's never been a better time to be a fan because you can you can ask directly. That's and true. You, can, you can hear from the musicians and artists you admire. It's such a cool time to be alive. Yeah, that's very true. But yes, it I, I'm at the point hard. where I'm, you know, I play cover tunes. You, you're doing originals. I'm, I'm playing cover tunes. I've done that all my whole career. And I often, the way I choose what time I'm going to spend on them is, can they be used? Are they cover tunes that pe- that my audience, my demographic wants to hear? And over time, I've, you know, I've, because of requests and comments, I know which ones are likely to be desirable to hear. So I, I, I do take, I do uh, choose my time based on, is this going to be something I can use, not just something that I want to play for myself? So that's mm-hmm. how I do my, my as, at the piano. I'm, it's, it's, and that's a commercial way of thinking because if I play some something that I love, but I, I notice while I'm on stage playing it, there's a, there's a muted response or nobody ever asks about it. Well, out it goes. And a tune that I may have played a thousand times, they still like it. Well, they still get to hear it because it's all about them. It's all about the audience. You've written music for yourself, though, even if you decide you you only want to release cover tunes and and classical pieces. Mm-hmm. I have written a very few things. For some reason, my creative impulse doesn't automatically go to uh, writing original compositions. What I really get joy out of is putting my arrangement stamp on other beautiful mm-hmm. tunes. I just, I just enjoy doing that, and I seem to do it well. It's always been a knack I had. I really admire that skill. Because if if you try to be too original, you kind of lose sight of tradition. And tradition can really help inform your creativity and and just your technical ability. So it's it's very important and I've always made sure that alongside anything I'm making, I'm also studying a particular piece or or trying to arrange something in a new way and yeah uh, I, I do well having both yeah that's <clears throat> yeah i suppose they, they're so related aren't they i mean when when i arrange a tune there's a lot of original music in the interludes and and, and the embellishments and so forth it's just for some reason my impulse is to arrange and that's not, I don't, I don't have a natural, I wouldn't even say gift. I don't have a gift for it, but I don't have a natural impulse to write original music. 
I do it when I need to. If someone commissions something, you know, that sort of thing. It's interesting. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it would be gorgeous, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll never know because I just don't. Do it. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll send you a link to two pieces that I wrote that were uh, uh, for a for a particular project. Okay. Thank you. Um. So I I read up on your your earlier years and I'm a huge fan of comedy, stand-up comedy. Mm. All kinds and you played at the comedy store and yeah. regularly. That's Yes, at a, at a time incredible. when that they they you know how they call the I mean there's a the golden age of the comedy store, just like the golden age of, of Saturday Night Live. I was mm-hmm. there when I was there. These as yet undiscovered geniuses were were up there. Jim Carrey was doing stand up, and Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leto and David Letterman before they had their shows. And Robin Williams was brand new. Uh, it was it was pretty wonderful. I learned a lot because I just sat in the dark corner and I, I played them onto the stage. They do their thing for twenty minutes, and I play them off. And occasionally, some some uh, artists, some comedians wanted some music for their show, and we did that. But um, it was I just I sat there and I said, why why is this so funny? And how is this guy? And I studied, 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 and uh, so I, I have a lot of com- comedic monologues in my show that I wrote because I learned how to write comedy from just listening and listening and listening. And it's it's and I love making people laugh. So, wow, what a gig! What, a, what oh, an yeah. incredible really oh, gig. yeah. I was I was there six nights a week for about six six or seven nights a week because I was I was uh, single at the time, so I didn't have anything to do <laughs> except <laughs> go to work. I was there from seven thirty in the evening till two a.m. night after night for six years. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, you got front row. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you still in touch with or did you form relationships, connections with any of those? A, a few. Uh, yeah, a few of the actors uh not no, not the superstars. No, I didn't. I was I knew them to say hello. Harry Mandel was one of the ones doing stand up Stephen Wright. Um, I, I mostly saw them all and they would recognize me at the time, but we didn't hang out. Uh, it was a kind of a, yeah, it was just an episode in my life that I'm really glad I had, but I stayed in touch with a few people on Facebook. And then you came back after that gig, you came back to the East coast or did, did something Yes, after, um, that, after that, well, <clears throat> that uh, after that gig, I came back to. I, I wanted to go some. I wanted to leave L.A. because I was, even though I, I was playing at the comedy store, I was. They didn't. I mean, they paid peanuts. I was starving to death, and I was doing some maintenance work at the apartment where I lived to help pay the rent, and I was a janitor for a while, and 
<laughs> and just try to <laughs> play here and there. I did, did whatever was necessary. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, I got to get out of L.A. And I had grown up in Greenville, where I live now. And so uh, we came back here and, and uh, had a look around. And I said, thought, well, I'm here. I better get a job. And I found a, a cocktail bar job here in town. And I, I, I started there. And, and then I, I enjoyed it. I stayed with them for about six or seven years. And then I and, and things just began to blossom. There's a story of it in the book as well called I, it's how how we did it <laughs> <laughs> from hither to yon well that's it seems like we we have similar initial gigs and opportunities and you know i don't i don't think many people get to work at the comedy store yeah but but it it seems like getting started you you really aren't in a position to choose and then you just have to take what comes along and i think that in itself is is a lesson in uh, i'm i mean i'm i'm arriving at this now having some experience with those kind of gigs that i mean it's a huge lesson in humility and yeah. uh you know and survival being responsible so yeah and and i and i'm saying that having almost no experience with that with with squalor mm. you know i that's great i've i've been far from that thank god yeah and it's no fun <laughs> So, and part of me feels like you you would come out of that a bit more um, like honed, and I don't know if that's if that's absolutely true. But there's this idea that that you gain skill and experience alongside your suffering. <laughs> well, and uh, my view is not that. Uh, my view is that suffering just means you suffered. It doesn't make you an artist. <laughs> I think you can be a perfectly wonderful, wealthy artist. <laughs> I like uh, it. But, but, but I, just like when, when I had that job as a janitor, I was so glad that I could pay the rent. I'm serious. And, you know, and, and I, and I wanted to make that place as spit spot clean as possible. You know, and I, I mean, I was, and I, again, I was <laughs> when I was young, and we worked through the night because we were doing uh, commercial properties. So, so it was. I just thought, wow, I'm. I have a paycheck. <laughs> That's what matters. It's because if you think about it, on some level, even if you're not, even if your career hasn't unfolded yet, you you are still living the life of an artist. You're doing yes. what you want to be doing when you're not at that, uh, doing, fulfilling that other obligation. And so it's as real and as, as fulfilling as it should be, you know, when, 
other opportunities come along and things pick up more. And when I look at it that way, I, I always immediately feel better when, Mm -hmm. because everyone would like to know what's going to happen, how their career is going to evolve. And, uh, you know, you're not supposed to know it all. So it's, it's, it's nice just to remind yourself I'm doing it already. And I might have all these other commitments, but I'm going to have, I'm going to have other things going on for the rest of my life. So, you know, I should just be happy that I've been doing it and I've been, you know, really giving it my all. I think that's a wonderful viewpoint. And and I think you're going to love in the book, uh, the, the, the uh, career in music, uh, section part section two of the book there's a lot that you will you've already do it you're already doing but there's a lot that will say yeah i i agree i i just mm-hmm. know you'll I, I spent a lot of time on that and and it was and i pretty much had the viewpoint that you did only i was in squalor for a while <laughs> i never was homeless but i i was paying my rent you know i was living paycheck to paycheck and paying my rent by doing maintenance around the apartment building and doing whatever I could besides playing. But I was always playing, just as you are. But I think you'll enjoy I think there's there's some worthwhile stuff in there. Oh, I will. That's, I will. that's where the subtitle is. It said, play it like you mean it, but let your piano work for you. And that that was the, that's kind of part two. Have you, along the way, I, I know writing a book, you, you have to have so many ideas, whether it's what things should be titled, how you want to approach a chapter. Did you have any other book ideas boiling up as you were writing this one? No, I didn't have an- another book. I was trying, I think, I never thought I would write a book, you know, so so I put everything I could think of into this book. But as far as titles go one title that i kind of played with was life lessons from the keyboard because Mm -hmm. it is it's not again it's 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 looking at playing the piano from a i keep saying holistic we've both said that throughout this thing but but that's that's what it is from Mm -hmm. an overall overarching view uh and how you can how music is a part of your life and uh, not just your, not just your art, not just your creation, but kind of who you are. And that's, I feel like I, I yeah, they went through a lot of different titles, but uh, the, the, the first, the first title I came up with was play it like you mean it, because that's something I've always been able to do. Even from when I was young, I could play little here we go up a row or something but one more time with feeling here we go up a row you know <laughs> it's just i think it's part of being italian and growing up in a very noisy household <laughs> i can relate to that yeah casazza <laughs> <laughs> yep i have two older siblings and uh and everyone's outspoken yeah it's great, you know. It means I can, I can be quiet if I want to. Yeah, and I can just observe, 
And I'm sure I learned a lot just uh, just listening to my family. I often think that, um, I, I say it facetiously, but it's almost true that in our family, when we get together with everybody, I mean, the cousins and also, everyone's talking at once. And I I kind of think that's how opera began, because you want to be heard over the other. So you just talk louder and you talk louder. And the one who can <laughs> hold the note longer <laughs> wins <laughs> that conversation. <laughs> wow, I love that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, do you have any? Do you have any uh, recommendations for uh, opera uh, piano arrangements for opera? Because I, I've really wondered how you would accompany an opera singer. Okay, well, I I worked for a while for an opera coach. And, and I just played the notes on the page. So uh, uh-huh. as far as the company goes, I, I okay. played, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was doing lessons. I was accompanying for her, her lessons. And um, uh, so I'm just, I'm reading from the printed page. When I do, I, I have done um, several arrangements for the piano of operatic arias. And they're on one of my albums called Evening in Venice. Uh, so I just arrange them the way I would arrange any beautiful melody. Uh, whatever I do, uh, however I go about uh, embellishing an, uh, a simple melody, I do the same thing with a classical melody as I would with a pop song. I guess that's my quick answer. Did I answer your question, or did you? Well. Yeah, you you did. I'm I'm just trying to formulate it better. Like, uh, do you are you accompanying opera singers? I'm not. No, I I'm thinking of this uh, the Chopin documentary that I was watching, where they they for for a part of it they brought up opera and someone was playing and and accompanying an opera singer and I was just wondering how I mean ultimately you learn from the the printed page and you you do what's on there but I, I'm just curious like what the uh just what it's like what the left hand would be doing and, mm-hmm. and how you would give them a foundation well I can tell you again I look at it from a uh, overall viewpoint is that I am there to make that opera singer sound the best she can. And even mm-hmm. if I'm playing the exact notes, um, I'm, I think the, and I made my living as an accompanist for uh, several years. And the thing that you need to do is know that you are not the star, but you're also very much more than uh, background. You're, you, you can make or break the performance. And your whole job as an accompanist is to, up, not just support, but make more beautiful what the opera singer is doing without drawing any attention to yourself. And I think it's a it's again from a I I mentioned that in the book as well. But from a, a an artistic viewpoint, if you know that they are depending on you absolutely, I mean you are 
the you could just the ground could fall out from under them. I, at, at least in one case, I was uh, in a it was just a recital. I say just it was a rec, it was a public recital, and the singer whom I knew very well um, had to hold this note for let's say eight counts, whatever it was. But I could tell that he was out of breath and couldn't do it. So I moved the accompaniment underneath that held note. I just speeded up till I knew because I could just tell he was going to come. And then and then he thanked me later because I made him people wouldn't know that anything was awry and I didn't let him run out of breath. Uh, I, I, I used to feel very proud of myself making the singer look good because mm-hmm. that's my job. And I loved doing it. And, I, and when I was doing that, I'm absolutely not a soloist. And if we were doing a public recital, the uh, singer will will take a bow and they'll probably acknowledge you, but it doesn't have to. And you, you know, you are you are there as a as a wonderful foundation for him to lean on. Anyway, that's hmm. I blab some more. And. Just because I haven't really sat down to listen to opera that much, uh, would you give me a few recommendations? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> from the, the, the arias that you need to listen to, there are O Mio Babino Caro, which you probably you would recognize. O Mio Babino, not Bambino, but Babino. Uh, Puccini, anything by Puccini. Um, Un bel di from Madame Butterfly. And you have to listen to Pavarotti sing Nessun Dorma. N-E-S-S-U-N, Nessun Dorma. Gotta be Pavarotti. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Pretty much you can't go wrong with Puccini or Verdi, the, 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 the blockbuster hit arias for tenors and sopranos. Puccini and Verdi. All right. All right. Well. All right. We've done... <laughs> Quite a bit. Yeah. You've been very generous with your time. <laughs> well, you, you, as you found out, I'm a blabber. I just <laughs> I, that the Italian comes out of me. I start talking. Start me up. I never stop. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, gonna be going about as far as we can go, I guess. I guess so. Um, so I want to thank you for having me as a guest uh, on your on your show. So happy to have you. I'm, I'm so glad you found out about my podcast and and reached out. Thank you, thank you, and and you're so thorough. And you looked at the book, and you have had a lot to. I mean, you know it. Did research on a for beforehand, which made it easier for us to chat. So thank you. You're welcome. Okay, Emil. Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of this autumn season. Okay, you too. Where are you located? 
I'm in DC. Oh, okay. Yeah, we. I'm in South Carolina. We don't have we don't have any autumn yet. It's just no no leaves, no colors on the leaves. It's just it's just getting a little chilly. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful area. I have I have a <clears throat> a home in North Carolina. Ah, uh, so pretty close by. Yeah, yeah, we love it there. All right. All right. Take care, Emil. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.